If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Welcome everyone, Chris Hartram here of the Talking Book Podcast. Today, I've got some serious content, some legit writing, and I've got a bona fide reading, and it's all coming your way, but before that happens, uh, what's new with us here at the Talking Book in Asheville, North Carolina? We're working on some really cool books right now with UNC Press. We've got some authors cruising through, coming to record. Um, We joined a pool here in town. The pool is fantastic. East Asheville Rec Club, classic 90s pool vibes. Um, Cowtails, ring pops, soft pretzels, now and laters. And then these teenagers, teenager is the word of the day that work there, are, are fantastic. Yesterday, all they played was Cake, Weezer, Blind Melon, what else? REM, Beck. I think there was some Third Eye Blind in there, but it was amazing. It's the same damn music as when... I was a kid at the pool, and it was playing on the radio, and now they're playing it for us again, for the old geezers. Um, Bless you, East Asheville Rec Club. And bless you, kid named Bradley. The teenager named Bradley, I think he was the one playing all the music. But on the show today, on this episode today, I have the truly singular talent, one-of-a-kind friend of mine, and Bud Smith. What can you say about Bud Smith that hasn't already been said? He is, uh, he's the best. Bud Smith, he works heavy construction in New Jersey. His story, Violets, appeared in the Paris Review. His new novel, Teenager, is one of NPR's best books of 2022. And I read it, I read it myself, and it's, it's my number one favorite book of 2022 so far. Um, the book is about two teenagers. They're in love, they're wild, they get into some trouble. They drive across the country like Bonnie and Clyde, having adventures, fucking up, and uh, and it's beautiful and entertaining as hell. The writing is solid. Um, It's just a badass book. I love it. I think you will too. But um, please now enjoy as the author Bud Smith reads you the beginning of his new novel, Teenager. An envelope fell through the slot. The guard called his name. Me? Cody stood from the table. The chair fell over. You got something, Green. The guard held the envelope up to the fluorescent light and squinted. Full of poison or hand grenades or what? Does it say Tella Carticelli? Cody had sent her love letter after love letter. Testaments of his devotion, one a day. Counting down the time till he was released from juvie. And they could figure out their future together. She was pregnant with his baby. He'd suggested thousands of names. No sender. The guard took his pocket knife out and slit the envelope. He carefully shook a slip of paper onto his desk. Cody walked over and held out his hand. To his surprise, the man actually passed it over to him without making a big scene. Without reading aloud all the gooey details his girlfriend had finally put into longhand. But the letter was from her fucking father. Cody, Tella is leaving. You'll never see her again. Move on. She's not worth it. I have a gun now. The law will be on my side. 
Have a blessed day, Arturo Carticelli. The rest of that afternoon was spent calculating. The other kids played Scrabble, talked shit. He was quiet for once, devising. The sun fell, the earth got dark, lights out, locked in. Everyone else asleep. He heard the other guy in the bunk snoring, and then he heard the lazy click of boot steps on linoleum. The night guard passed by in the corridor with a flashlight, and Cody watched through the wired glass as the beam faded around the corner and was gone. The guard was going to the machine to get a coffee. Cody fished out the stolen ring of keys from under the pillow and let himself out onto the main floor of the facility. The door closed softly behind him and he padded barefoot down the waxed hall. His t-shirt and sweatpants were bone white and he felt illuminated too brightly, too vulnerable, easy to spot. He threw the pajamas into the first garbage can and rushed naked the rest of the way, keys jangling. He slipped past the desk and tried three keys in the storage room door before it clicked open. He went inside and pulled the chain, and the bare light bulb came on buzzing. Cody saw the bins with everyone's confiscated property. He pulled them out one at a time, searching for his stuff. Then he saw it, a cartoon chicken screen-printed on a Navy t-shirt, his work uniform from Pride Paradise. He pulled the shirt over his head and stepped into his blue jeans, and then he heard the guard coming back humming a song. Cody reached up and pulled the chain and the light bulb went dark. He stood frozen, listening, thinking. Tella is leaving. You'll never see her again. Leaving to where and when? Tonight? Tomorrow? It was a lie, he thought. Something to scare him straight. Whatever the true tactic, he'd have to go and see for himself. It was one thing to be locked up for some crime he'd committed, but he hadn't done anything wrong in his life yet. He'd fix that soon. Cody reached back in the bin and felt for his socks and sneakers, put them on, found his wallet. His medication was in the nurse's station, but he didn't know which of the funny funhouse doors on the way out led there. He'd have to leave without his pills. He heard the guard sighing and then blowing on his hot coffee, trying to cool it down for the first sip. Cody felt the jagged teeth of each key to the facility, one by one, trying to imagine in the pitch black which one would get him through the metal mesh gate and down the hallway where the emergency lights were glowing. When the guard finally stood up and went down the other hall towards the bathroom, Cody crept out of the storage room and slipped through the shadows. The first key he tried worked. The gate creaked open. He hustled down the corridor to the second gate, and the first key fit, but it wouldn't turn. He tried another and another, worrying about the guard, but keeping his cool, thinking of Tella, the bomb threat, that got him locked up in the first place of his foster mother's trailer. He wouldn't be going back there. And thinking of Tella's father, mother, brother, the water tower, the Scrabble game two of the other kids were playing, in the rec room that morning and all the three-letter words they'd made, their low scores. The lock disengaged. He stepped through the second gate. He slipped out of the front door of the Mayweather, no alarms sounding. He couldn't hold back his laughter. His sneakers crunched on the frosty grass. He sprinted across the full moonlit field, carefully scaled the far chain link, didn't even damage himself on the razor wire. All of it, beginner's luck. One. The air was cold at the top of the water tower. Cody could see the whole town and off into the Pine Barrens. All day he'd gotten ready, planned, prepared, scouted, Held back seeing her, ran reconnaissance, now it was almost time. He had no coat. 
Goosebumps rose on his skin. He shivered in jeans and a t-shirt. It was March, the magic hour. He raised the binoculars and found Telecarticelli's little brick house, the last one on a dead-end street, right across from the church. The school bus came, and she stepped off and walked up the lawn. She was in her Catholic school uniform, same as when he first met her, ribbons in her hair. It was understood. They'd used the dress to start a campfire in the hills beyond the reservoir. His name was Cody Raleigh Green. He called her Teal Cartwheels. They were the same age, but went to different schools. It was the afternoon after his escape from the youth detention center, and she was hours away from being stuck on an airplane. She walked to the rhododendrons lining the front of the house, knelt down, and tilted back a concrete head of St. Anthony, but no spare key was underneath it. She let St. Anthony fall and sat down on the front steps, waiting for her parents to come home. He thought of himself as the pilot of a strange spaceship, lumbering back from utter blackness, control set solely on the redemptive glory of Tella's light. The wind whipped, and he shuddered and stomped his feet on the catwalk to warm up. From that distance, he couldn't see her face. He was growing impatient to be near her, hold her, kiss her, talk. There was a lot to say. Usually, he carried a locket with her picture, but it had been taken from him by the sheriff, and he never got it back. It was fine. He'd get another, take her picture again. The locket she wore had a portrait of him snapped at fried paradise, dropping the breaded chicken into a vat of grease. He'd begged for a better photo, but she'd just smooched it and said he looked most handsome. Teal didn't have an after-school job. He used to be her after-school activity in secret all the while her mom thought Tello was destined to become a nun. My girlfriend the nun, he thought, laughing. Things were in motion. He hugged himself hard, teeth chattering. He waited for her parents to come home, and he'd climb down the water tower when everything was perfect, and he'd meet them for the first time. He'd reason with them. He'd drive over to Tella's house and take her away. He didn't have a driver's license, but he'd stolen a car. Cody wished he had the orange scarf she'd knitted for him in home economics. He usually hated scarves, but now wouldn't mind one, forget looking tough, and he wished they'd hurry the hell up. He was giving her parents one last chance, though he didn't feel they deserved it, being diplomatic. He figured life should be like that, free will and all, no destiny. You get to decide what you will be punished for, and don't forget, everyone is punished for something. In the distance, Cody saw a million black starlings swarm together in the sky to form a skull. Spring was coming. They'd gotten that right. Cody wasn't sure if the birds were real. He had hallucinations all up and down a sliding scale. He had a constant headache, too. He patted his pockets again, but of course he didn't have his pills, and that was just too bad. He reached in his jeans and took out the wrinkled letter from her father and read it for the hundredth time. I have a gun now. Cody loved that part. He saw Arturo Carticelli's beat-to-shit red pickup truck wobble down the block, sand in the bed, broken shovels, rusted wheelbarrow, a lousy mason and father. Arturo parked in the driveway and appeared from the cab, ghostly with cement dust, curly hair, messy mustache. Cody wondered how he ever fit inside the cab of the truck. Teal hadn't gotten her looks from that rhinoceros. Teal sat up on the steps but did not stand. Arturo walked over and crouched in front of her. He spoke a few words. She didn't respond. He touched her shoulder and kissed her on the mouth. She pulled away. Arturo stood and went into the house. 
Tella remained seated. Now Cody thought she might be crying. They waved to get her attention, but she couldn't see him up there. He was too far away. He didn't want that to happen again. He wanted her to see him, wherever he was, for as long as they both lived. He wanted to make everything good for her. Down below in the car, Cody had camping gear, the U.S. Army Survival Manual FM-21-76, countless atlases of America. He had five changes of clothes, canned goods, MREs, some cash, unscratched lottery tickets, a stolen credit card, and most important, a gun. Mimi Carticelli's silver valiant rounded the corner and headed down the dead end. Cody felt his pulse quicken, Teal's beautiful mother. Smoke began to rise out of the chimney. The last frozen night was on the way. The light was blue, gray steel and ice. The orange sun vanished over the soft curve of the earth. He worried he'd never glimpse another. Everywhere he looked, he saw pine trees, power lines, traffic lights, houses that all looked the same. The water tower perch he stood on had a typo, home of the Screaming Eagles. According to the water tower, the town was nameless. It existed merely for typos and high school football. It was a careless void in which they lived. But Cody and Teal were leaving. Mimi stepped into the driveway. Long dark hair, a white dress with blue flowers or birds he couldn't tell. Shrugs sweater around her shoulders. As a young adult, she drifted on a raft made of tires across the Atlantic from Havana. Now she was the assistant bank manager at the place over by the bowling alley. Teal looked up at her mother. Mimi breezed by wordlessly into the house. They hadn't spoken since Teal's procedure. Satisfied they were all home, Cody climbed down the ladder, 180 feet. At the base of the tower, he was obscured by shadow and felt tiny again. He knew he was being dramatic. Her parents had only heard horrible things about him from people who didn't know how he really was. Teal had come to his defense. He was sure she had. It didn't matter. Cody was coming to the house not only uninvited but forbidden. But this was his big debut. He tucked in his shirt and tried to smooth his cowlick, but his mouth was so dry he couldn't get any spit. Cody Raleigh Green got in the boosted car and started it after two attempts. The ignition was weird. Bats swooped out of the trees in pursuit of insects fleeing through the vivid dusk. It was spaghetti night at the Carticelli house. Two. The door was locked, but he had taken Teal's key with the hot pink rubber cover. Cody stepped inside. The house smelled like basil, sausage cooking, garlic bread toasting, potpourri in a dish, wood smoke. Mimi flashed by in the kitchen carrying a steaming pot. Elvis Presley sang Love Me Tender on the tube stereo. Cody ducked down the hallway and hid in the shadows. An unfamiliar voice came from inside Teal's room. He worried about the extra person. A relative, cousin, new boyfriend, a cop already looking for him. Then the voice began to speak in a warbled alien tongue. Cody realized it was a foreign language instructional cassette tape. Common phrases spoken in English repeated back in Italian. She was in her room packing. He didn't have to see it to know. Cody's sneakers sank into the mint shag, quicksand. He could have stayed outside her door, forever stuck. He flattened his back against the panel of dark floral wallpaper. A drop of sweat popped on his brow, peonies all down the corridor. A toilet flush. He let out a nervous laugh. Arturo Carticelli, 
All 252 pounds of him was in the nearby bathroom, and Cody hadn't even known. He'd wrongly assumed the man was already at the table with a $6 jug of wine. On the opposite wall were family photos galore, teal in her confirmation dress, her older brother Neil, dressed up as a bald eagle for Halloween, Arturo and Mimi younger, more slender, in neons. Cody thought they looked like any average, average family did, absolutely unhinged. There had once been many religious paintings and prayer plaques on the walls, but the Carticellis had recently left the Catholic Church. The gaps on the wall had been filled with photos of Elvis all phases of his career. One of them even autographed to the mother. The toilet flushed again. Cody ducked into a different doorway. Her brother's bedroom was empty. The place had the preserved feeling of a crypt missing the body. He was alive somewhere out at sea. Neil was two years older than Teal, in the Navy, sailor boy, had the pull-up record at the Academy, owned a silver-black phantom bike, was some kind of reborn hard naval badass, was serving on some secret warship. Cody didn't know anything else about him, just that he was gone and that made Teal cry. Cody felt extremely tired. He looked at the bed. Yes, he could close his eyes and dream the dreams of Neil Carticelli in the bed of Neil Carticelli. The brother's dreams would be healthy ones broadcasted from a life of disciplined order. A big ship, a uniform, a rank, a stipend, a bunk, bunk mates. They fed you. They prayed for you. Must be nice. Neil off, gallivanting. But someone had to be here to take care of Teal. Neil should not have left. Cody sat down on the bed and rested his elbows on his knees, leaned forward, and tried to understand. A poster for West Side Story was on Neil's wall. Cody didn't like anything about that West Side Story. Just let the happy couple have their happiness, okay? Shakespeare had it wrong. So did all the copycats. Everything didn't have to end so viciously. He leapt up and tore down the poster, ripped it apart with his sneaker heel. He walked to Neil's tiny desk, a notebook just said breathing on the cover. He looked inside, dates and times, each day the time got a little longer. He realized it was from when Neil had been training himself to hold his breath. Neil's record had been over four minutes. Who knew what it was now? Cody tore out the final page and folded it and stuck it in his wallet. He opened the closet and saw boots sticking out, someone hiding inside. He parted the clothes and no one was there. Neil's polished boots, dark leather, Cody kicked off his sneakers and pulled one of the boots on. Perfect fit. He yanked on the other boot and tied the laces with a square knot. Less experienced survivalists would have used a granny knot. He kicked his old sneakers far under the bed. Cody put his ear to the wall and listened for Teal. He thought about doing their secret knock, but didn't. Things were happening in a certain way. He'd considered the consequences and was fine with all of them. Jail, death, hell... The tape said, Como facio contraria la polizia. Her sweet voice repeated it back. The instructor said in sing-song English, How do I contact the police? Cody covered his mouth. The universe was toying with him again. He removed his ear from the wall. He was sweating where the wall was. The power had gone out two summers before. The bedside clock blinked. 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Cody unplugged her brother's alarm clock. Arturo came out of the bedroom humming. He knocked on his daughter's door. Come on out, it's time. I don't want to. Your mother made a special dinner. I'm not hungry. You'll make her upset. Cody could feel the slow dragging revolutions of the planet. He felt gravity crushing down on her side of the wall. Teal felt exactly the same. Come and eat. 
Teal mumbled something neither man could decipher. Arturo padded off down the hall. I want Cody here, she said lower to herself. Cody stood up, heart bursting. Maybe they could just run away. Maybe he didn't have to confront the parents. Arturo's humming grew faint. Elvis ended. More Elvis came on. No, Cody decided. Running away was pointless. Her parents would find them. They'd have to be dealt with. A clean break had to be established. There was tonight and tonight only to do it. Teal said something else through the wall and he thought it was his own name again. She had no idea he was so close, just two arm lengths away. Cody gave the wall between them a kiss and from the kiss he drew courage. He walked out of the room and crept up the hallway towards her parents. He felt like a detective in a dime store pulp novel. He entered the living room and paused. The brother's heavy boots sank him deeper into the carpet. A new start was just a few steps away. Up above the fireplace, he saw the painting of Jesus had been replaced by a black velvet Elvis in a snow-white suit, blue suede shoes. They'd reused the ornate gold frame. Elvis looked right through Cody. Wherever he stood, Elvis's eyes followed. Cody heard the clink of plates in the breakfast nook, the din of cutlery. Arturo and Mimi had already begun to eat. In the corner of the living room, he watched the mineral oil lamp rain down from its porcelain base. Teal's parakeet, Winter, chirped in his brass cage. He stepped across the threshold. Neither parent saw him. He watched for a moment. Arturo looked to be slurping up gory earthworms, sauce in his mustache. Mimi dabbed her chin. The spread was full. Any pas salads, pitted olives, three-liter bottles of Food Universe orange soda, Manicot and more. Farewell to their little girl. Arturo's mouth was stuffed with garlic bread. Something wasn't right. He saw a specter in his periphery. He turned his head and glared, unbelieving. Hello, Cody said with a polite salute. Arturo chewed once, twice, gave up, spit the bread onto his plate. Mimi's eyes were wide. Her lips twitched. The air was sucked out of the room. They were in a hostile vacuum now, and Cody had caused it. We should talk, like adults. You should leave, Mimi said. Apologies, ma'am. My apologies. Leave. I'm sorry for everything. I came to talk. Go. Now, she pleaded. We're going to be a family soon. No, we're not. Arturo swung his chair and opened the cabinet under the aquarium. What? No, don't do that, Cody said. Arturo spun the dial to the gun safe below the fish tank. For the sake of your grandkid, don't do that, Cody said. There's no baby anymore, Arturo said. The light drained from Cody's heart. Tropical buddies bobbed in vibrant green water, fake seaweed, treasure chest aerator, king's castle, back of Arturo's massive head. You're lying to me. You'll find out. I love her. Arturo looked back. Last chance. Get out of here. She's not worth it. She is. You've got the wrong idea. I'm a really nice guy. The combination to the gun safe was Teal's birthday. Cody knew. He'd come by earlier in the day when the house was empty. He'd taken the key to the front door out from under St. Anthony's head and forgotten to put it back. Nice knowing you, Arturo said, and opened the safe and reached inside, but the pistol was not in the safe. Arturo glanced back in horror and saw it shining in Cody's hand. Don't. Shut up. Her father reached for the wine bottle. Cody fired. The shot nipped Arturo's ear. The fish tank exploded. Rushing water, rushing glass, sulfur, and charcoal. Acrid reek of gunpowder. Doomed veil of smoke. Vimy screamed. Arturo rose. The chair tipped over. Cody shot again. Arturo fell onto the table. Plates of spaghetti cracked. 
The table split and collapsed. Mimi screamed, continued to scream. Cody thought about Teal in the other room having to listen. He waved his arms and begged Mimi to be quiet. She rushed to her dead husband and wailed even louder. Cody thought again of Teal listening in the other room. Cody shot her mother. Mimi Carticelli slid onto the floor into the fish tank water. Cody looked away. He was shaking. His ears were ringing. At his feet was a little pink fish, flapping, spazzing, struggling for air. It whacked against his shoe. Its eyes passed through him and aimed for the ocean. He picked up the fish and put it in a big glass of water. Three. He stumbled down the hallway, head pounding. Teal had barricaded the door. It's me. Cody? That's right. She opened up and he couldn't believe what he saw. Her hair was all done up. It looked like a movie star. No, she covered her eyes. Her suitcase was on the bed and so was her passport. His voice cracked. I shouldn't have done that. I never thought I'd see you again. She embraced him. They squeezed hard. They were putting me on a plane. I know, I know, I know. Cody let her go and held her face to his. Never see me again. I was locked over up on Route 9. You could have visited. They said you were in Attica. They lied. I was just across town. They said Attica? She went to the bed and showed him the passport and the ticket inside, a one-way flight to Rome. She tore it in half. He felt her belly. It was flat. I'm so sorry. They tricked me into it. They said I'd never see you again. The baby wouldn't have a chance. Neither of them knew what else to say besides I love you, I love you, I love you. But now it's time to go. He opened the window and said they'd have to climb out that way. Teal stood frozen in the middle of the room, surrounded by teddy bears and valentines he'd once sent. We can't go out the normal way. I don't want you to see it. He hopped out the window first and looked up to see her face, eyeshadow and lipstick and mascara. He guessed she had been trying to make the most out of her European exile. But he'd boomeranged back, and they were exiled together now. I really shouldn't have done that. Her first suitcase came down into his waiting arms. No one should have done anything. What's in this thing? She passed down another, even heavier. He gallantly reached for his maiden's hand, but when he had her weight, his foot slipped, and they crashed sideways into the mud, wind knocked out of the both of them. Boom. You just heard the beginning of Teenager by Bud Smith, the new novel. You can get this novel everywhere. Books are sold. I'll put the links in the show notes, so go order Teenager immediately. Uh, there's also fantastic art in the book by Ray Buleri. I'll put links to that as well. Thanks so much to Bud for the reading and to the people at Vintage for publishing this book. Uh, the Talking Book is in Asheville, North Carolina. We record books in a booth with authors and pro narrators for publishers and universities and people just like you. So hit us up at thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Send me your readings. Send me, uh, send me anything you want. I dare you to. I love you all. Uh, see you next time. Teenager Bud Smith. Get the book. Love you. Bye. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares 
Oh, 